Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back to the show, 12s. It is draft week, NFL draft week. We are hours away, four days away from the first round of the NFL draft, one of the most highly anticipated and exciting draft processes Seahawks fans have ever been through. In fact, I'll just say it, the most exciting is as long as I've been following this team as a, as a fan, covering this team, talking about this team, which encompasses my, most of my entire life, their life, for sure. Uh, never had this many high draft picks. Never had this much to look forward to. Um, this kind of combination of picks. Five in the top 100. We've talked about it for months. We're getting down to the wire. Uh, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Some things are clearer and some things are muddier. And that's just part of the fun of the whole draft. And so to help me dissect and understand some of this, uh, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show Emery Hunt of CBS Sports and also author of the Football Game Plan Draft Guide. Uh, you've heard him on the Field Goals podcast with Dane and I, and and you've heard him uh, on Dana's show as well. Emery, uh, it's good to have you, man. Glad to be here, man. I appreciate you bringing me on. Uh, I think you told me before we went live that uh, this is about your 40th uh, podcast or radio hit. <laughs> You've probably looked at this draft about every possible way you can. Yeah, and especially when you dive deep like I do, over 1,000 individual scouting reports in that draft guide. You've seen a lot, you've watched a lot, and you're kind of ready to see how it all plays out. And the thing I love about you, and, and, and I think one of the angles we're going to take today is we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive. You really love the small school guys. Um, you go to some of the all-star games that aren't as, uh, aren't as renowned, don't get the TV time because you like to see some of those smaller prospects. You can go to 1,000. You cover the XFL and the USFL. We chatted about that a little bit before we hit record. Um, that's kind of the angle that I want to take on some of this stuff because by this point, even the casual Seahawk fan or fans of any teams, there's enough resources out there and they've done enough research that they've heard all the big names. And, and I get the the sense that as, and I think it even happens to me, you know, you, you hear that term paralysis by analysis. Sometimes you go over this enough, you do hundreds of mock drafts and you kind of get tired of talking about the same guys. So we're going to hear some new names today and, and dive a little deeper into some of the position groups, but I want to start with this. So in the last couple of days, because for the last, I don't know, three months, I know the last time we talked when, when Dana and I had you on, the assumption was that we were going to go three out of the first four picks in this draft look like they were going to be quarterbacks with the opportunity for the Arizona Cardinals to trade back, that they basically have the for sale sign up for that number three pick, and it might go quarterbacks one through four, and how that would affect the Seahawks at number five. Things have been shaken up for the last week with reports that the Houston Texans are thinking about not going quarterback at all at number two because they don't like any of the guys outside of Bryce Young at that spot. And the consensus now seems to be that the Panthers are locked in on Bryce Young. One of the reasons we're hearing is there's this new cognition. We've heard of the Wonderlick test for years. The S2 cognition test is, is a thing that teams have put a lot of stock into, some more than others. Um, apparently the, the Panthers and the Colts in particular really lean on this test, possibly the Texans as well, just to, for fans who've never heard of it. Cause I wasn't that familiar with it until we started hearing about it this draft cycle. This is from 
their website a little quick description of what the test is. Our 30 to 45 minute digital evaluation measures your unique cognitive skills with unprecedented precision and accuracy. Or accuracy, sorry, it's early in the morning. I've only had one cup of coffee. Uh, this in-depth report will help you understand how you process the game and stack up against your peers. So supposedly, this is a tool that scouts can use to get an idea of how a quarterback's brain processes the game. Here is what was reported today by Bob McGinn, longtime Packers reporter who now uh, has his own independent site. I'm not going to read all the scores off, but top of the scale, Bryce Young at 98%. Bottom of the scale, CJ Stroud at 18%. And apparently this may be part of the evaluation process that's pushing him down boards. Here's the way I want to ask this to you. You've watched a lot of film. You've watched all these quarterbacks. You have your evaluations of them. Do you see anything on tape that lines up with this, that leads you to believe that C.J. Stroud might not see the game quickly on the field? I'm trying to find out what the S2 sack numbers were last year, like how well they did, you know, versus pressure, how well, you know, S2 got to the quarterback because S2 just came out of nowhere. <laughs> S2 is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Anything that talks about processing and has Will Levis as a high grade is a stupid processing test. Will Levis right? at 93%. Throw it out. So, you know, my thing is when you think about these tests, everyone loves eugenics, right? This is a new form of trying to figure out who's smarter at the position when you're the game is played based off reaction. And I don't care what his, his seat, his S2, R2D2 score, whatever it is, could have been a one. I'm still looking at that Georgia tape and like, yep, I'm taking him. Yeah. So I don't care what this S. This is just another junk science report that is out there to disparage quarterbacks. And here's the other thing too. They say, you know, it's, we haven't seen guys, we haven't seen guys that, uh, you know, it's not saying that guys that score high do well, but we haven't seen guys that score low do well. What? Like, it, what is this? Like, man, throw yeah. this whole thing out. Let's start the draft today. Let's, let's, we all not doing that tonight. Let's get the draft started tonight because this is just nonsense. It's like the money ball thing, right? It's like, we're going to just draft players based on a computer printout now. Right. Yeah, it's like why why even play the games? Yeah. Just wait till we get this, you know, the RAS, RES, wait till you get the the mm -hmm. you know the the C2, you know, the XJ900 test, wait till you get all this stuff, right? Just just wait. And um you can't take uh you know Jameer Gibbs cuz he's only 199 as if he's not going to go to lunch and come back at 202. Like <laughs> you know it's I hate the draft process. Yeah. Do you think the the Texans are making a mistake if they pass on quarterback at two? Absolutely. Go out there with Davis Mills again and watch you have a capacity crowd of five at the stadium. Uh, let's talk quarterbacks first, because this has been a debate ever since the, the offseason started. And and part of it because Pete Carroll and John Schneider have been have been open about their their interest in the in the process of looking at the quarterbacks because they just aren't used to drafting this high. And this is a rare opportunity for them. Um they go out and they sign Geno Smith coming off a great year. A lot's been made about how easy the contract would be to get out of it after it. I don't even put a lot of stock into that. If for this roster and how they're building it and what needs they have to address over the next two weeks in the draft and undrafted free agency and beyond, um, just first of all, give me your general feelings on what you would think if the Seahawks decided to go f quarterback at five. It would be a disservice to the defensive side of the football because last game I watched Seattle, they couldn't stop a nosebleed. So if they take a quarterback, do you expect that quarterback to play uh, edge rusher? Do you expect that quarterback to play 
three technique. Do you expect that Anthony Richardson might be able to? <laughs> Do you expect that quarterback? Oh, Will Levis. He's you know supposed to be the super <laughs> athlete, right? True. I mean, he has a high S two score, so more of an outside linebacker, I think. Yeah. Maybe he could play his free safety because he's so smart and sees the field well cognitively, <laughs> right? Um, so I, if they if they take Anthony Richardson or any quarterback, it it really just doesn't hammer what you've talked about in terms of how you feel about Geno Smith, how you feel about Drew Locke and his development. I just think that's probably the biggest smokescreen as well uh, for Seattle because I think everyone knows. They couldn't stop the run last year. They got to get better within the front seven. And they also have depth issues on defense. So I I just think they would do their roster disservice in taking any of the quarterbacks. It's interesting. We talked uh, before the show um, about how this time of year you just you analyze the the draft class so much that I know I sometimes get bored taking the same guys when I'm doing mock drafts and things like that. And I, and I start to play with scenarios and, and you can really play tricks with your mind. You know, what, what are the, what's a smoke screen? What's real. And in the last couple of days, I've kind of brought my back or myself back to the very beginning of the off season. One of the first things Pete Carroll said publicly, we need to get more dynamic, longer, bigger, stronger up front on defense. And he name dropped Eric Armstead, Joe or Nick Bosa. He, he name dropped, in particular, those guys up front in San Francisco. John Snyder came out. Need to get bigger, tougher, stronger in the trenches. Then we go on this whole quarterback tour with the selfies and everything else. And people start to get excited about that. Then you see things like, well, they love Devin Witherspoon. And there's all these these curveballs. I think at the end of the day, when you look at the roster, they don't have a nose tackle on the roster. They don't have any interior defensive linemen that can line up and play day one on the roster. They have to go that way, don't they? Despite all the buzz, I I, I agree, um, and that's why earlier in my, I want to say when I talked to you guys early in the season, and we did like at the time, I think the Seahawks had the fifth and seventh pick or something like that. Yeah, before they went a- on this run, mm-hmm. and I was like, listen, I'm trying to take Jalen Carter and Brian Brissy. Or I'm trying to take you know, and I'm like, I'm getting two defensive linemen, two of the or Will Anderson and and Jalen Carter. I'm trying to get the two best defenders right now for this defense. And I still feel that way, even with where they are picking, because you talk about getting longer, even though I'm not the biggest Tyree Wilson fan, he is my number one five technique. Cause I feel like he has better pass rushing ability, you know, closer inside. He has to grow into that pass rusher on the outside. Um, so I would, I wouldn't mind taking him, but also if I do take him and then later in that first round, Brian Brzee, would be someone I would love to take too to play on that interior because he can get pass rush as well. And he's a big body guy with some good length and, and good athleticism. So I agree with Pete Carroll. And matter of fact, in my uh, CBS Sports mock draft, I had them taking Jalen Carter at five because how the, the draft fell. And then I had them taking uh, Nolan Smith, an edge rusher, later on in the draft. So mm. they got length they got athleticism they got better up front defensively i think that's where it has to start yeah for seattle moving forward do you think jalen carter's worth the risk if uh if they're not a hundred percent sold on his his love of the game of football and his his desire to be great i tell you the same the same analogy i made for cj stroud while folks are telling me about jalen carter's you know pro day and you know he didn't go through this drill I don't, I don't know about his body. I'm just watching the Oregon game. Keep talking mm. to me while I watch the Oregon game, <laughs> and I'm watching him just dominate this dude. So until you say something that you search this Oregon game, 
I'm not listening to you. I'm taking Jalen Carter. I need players. A- again, I- I'll probably be the worst head coach because I don't care about as long as you're not hurting women or children. Hmm. I need you on my. F- I need you to win for me. So, if you want to, you know, if you like cheeseburgers or whatnot, if you just want to take a playoff, cool. Because I'm watching this Oregon game yeah. and I'm watching you dominate, and that's what I'm gonna roll with. I'm gonna get this guy regardless. So I want to ask you. Uh, um, you mentioned Tyree Wilson, and he seems to have become a a very polarizing prospect when it comes to Seahawk fans. I, I debate this on Twitter all the time. It's, it's, you know, he has been mocked to Seattle for months, but all of a sudden there's, there's, there's this group of the fan base that thinks he's not sudden enough, not quick enough, not refined enough that he's too raw. There's people that hate the idea of taking Tyree Wilson. You said you're not the biggest fan, but you mentioned him at five technique. And I wonder, I think some fans just see the length and the size and they think he can't play outside linebacker, can't play in space. Do you think he's a guy that that might fit, might need to add 10 pounds, but his frame looks like it can support it? You mentioned five techniques. So you're thinking more, even in a three, four, can he play defensive end as opposed to outside linebacker? Exactly. He's more of a three, four end as opposed to a stand-up edge guy. I compared his game to Marcus Davenport because when mm. you look at him on paper and look at the traits, you like all of the pieces, but then you watch the football player and you can see where the fans have some concern. He does, he is a bit raw in terms of his technique. Right now, it's just all power. So you envision him as a five technique with that length and that power and that get off, and he's going to mow guys back into the backfield. You can teach him technique. You can teach him a few more pass rushing moves, but you can't teach length. You can't teach strength. You can't teach explosiveness. You can't teach ball get off. Mm-hmm. And he has those things. He does play a little bit high. At times, which is why, again, you put him inside a little bit as a 3-4 in, I think that's where he's going to excel. But if you expect him to be some stand-up edge guy or this refined 4-3 in, it's not going to work out for you. So that's why I feel like I can understand if someone takes him. And if anybody takes him, I would trust Pete Carroll and company hmm. to, to get the best out of him uh, as opposed to some other people in the league. It feels like, and there's been a lot of talk about this here because the Seahawks have gone through a transition from a 4-3 to a 3-4, even though, you know, it's a little bit of a hybrid. They play kind of a mix of the two, but it seems like there's a lot of talk about the 3-4 defensive end position. And some people like to just label edge and it that umbrella kind of covers all of it, right? Does this draft kind of lack that type? No, because when I break down the prospects, it goes 4-3 in five tech defensive end edge rusher. You know, the edge rusher is someone that you just don't think is as consistent versus the run. Your five technique is a little bit of a cross of that four, three end, but not quite refined to be that outside, just pure speed, get off the edge guy, but does a solid job versus the run. So there's a difference in how you view things and how you grade these prospects. So that's why I grade it the way I do, which is why Wilson, yeah, may not have been an edge for me, but when you envision him as a five technique, he fits in perfectly in that, you know, uh, that framework and that box. And, 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 you know, you could pl- plug him in there and you can see where he can have success in that regard. And so I feel like if he's utilized there within this defense, it's the best chance for him to have success. And then when you combine that with maybe a Brian Brissy on the interior who can play any one of the interior techniques rather well, or if you want to get another edge rusher too. double down on, on defensive ends and take a Nolan Smith later yeah. in the first round where now you have him paired up on side of a Tyree Wilson and just tell him, just get off the ball and go get the quarterback. Like what they used to have when Bruce Irvin first jumped into the league. So I can see if they could piece it together in, in multiple ways, 
to get the desired results. Now you keep coming back to Brian Brzee and he's fascinating to me because, you know, midway through the college football season or even at the beginning of the off season, when draft mock season started, he was a guy that was widely considered a, a first round pick, maybe top 15. And a lot of people thought he was a, a fit for the Seahawks for whatever reason he has fallen. And you routinely now see him slipping out of the first round in mock drafts. Why do you think he would fit, uh, you know, expand on that a little bit, but also why, why do you think you're so much higher on him than kind of the consensus right now? I feel like no one is providing context to what we saw this year. He's coming off a knee injury and also he's dealing with life issues. He lost yeah. his, his sister, you know, so that can, you know, and again, that's why I made a joke about Jalen Carter and why he showed up, you know, at, you know, maybe a little bit overweight and at the, you know, pro day, like, bro, he dealing with life issues like that. You know, you got, you don't know what's going on, you know, charges. So it's like, I get it, you know? And I, so I understand what we saw this year from Brzee needs a bit, a little bit more context. But when you see a guy that's 6'5", 305, that has some pass rushing chops, but also plays well on the interior. We remember when he first burst onto the scene, this guy looked like a top five lock for the first round. And I think he can get back to that now that things can be a little bit more stable for him uh, in an environment like Seattle, where it seems like Seattle is the perfect environment to foster someone back to where they need to be. And I just feel like he would be an ideal pick for P. Carroll because, again, he could play. He, I even see a potential for him to be a five tech as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's super versatile um, and you get enough versatility up on that front. Now you're cooking with gas. Now you're able to be creative in how you deploy uh, your fronts versus certain teams. Now you're being more disruptive up front. You mentioned Nolan Smith a few times. Um, he's a guy that blew up the combine, dynamic athlete, uh, was hurt most of last year, torn pec, cost him some time. Um, he's a guy that gets talked about a little bit as a as a Swiss Army knife, a guy that you can move all over. But also there there's some people that aren't sure what to do with him. Where do you think he fits? I think he's an edge defender. I think he's a, a your classic, you know, three, four outside linebacker. And Georgia has shown us time and time again, when you're watching their players on defense, you got to have a little bit more context because guys are being asked to do things that, you know, may not jive with what their skill set is. So that could explain some of the numbers, could explain why we don't see these tremendous sack numbers. Well, he's probably playing in a different role. That's how you get a Trayvon Walker going number one, Mm. right? And I think Nolan Smith has great length the clothes to not only chase the run away, but also get pressure and, and close on the quarterback as well. So I like him in, in that scope, and which is why he graded out as one of my one of my top uh, edge rushers at the position. Another guy that I that I kind of in in my view, I sort of put in that Brian Brzee category. He's a guy who has all the size uh and and length and athletic specs and everything else and would seem to fit what Seattle needs right now but also kind of has slipped through the cracks and, and maybe the production on tape tape didn't match this year. Uh, what the, what the numbers on paper look like. That's a little bit of a mystery is miles Murphy. And he's a guy that I've seen mocked anywhere from 10 all the way down to 20 and being available. What's your take on miles Murphy? I think he's a really good player, man. In, in my latest mock, I had him going to 10 uh, to the Eagles and taking him as opposed to another position, because I feel like he's getting undervalued, mm-hmm. very good edge setter on the, in a run game. So he's able to, you know, close that, that front door or the back door and force you into a one dimensional role as a runner, then shows the ability to get off the block and make the tackle. And I feel like his consistency over time 
uh, should be something that people should weigh heavily. And again, we're coming from a program at Clemson that seems to have a D-line factory, right? <laughs> if you go all the way back to the late great Gaines Adams that you know started this trend of guys just coming out of that program at defensive end, they all look alike in terms of style, built, and how they play. Um, so I, I like him. I think he's someone that also could give you what you need as a pass rusher uh, more so than someone uh, someone else, you know? Yeah. Another guy that kind of fits that mold I want to talk about before we get out of the first round is Keon White, Georgia Tech. Uh, was invited to the combine, one or the uh, draft, one of only 17 to do that, which I found interesting because he typically has fallen out of the first round. I mean, at the beginning of the offseason, Daniel Jeremiah had him eight on his big board. He slipped into the 20s. But I see him routinely going in the second round. The fact that the NFL has invited him to the draft indicates to me that their intel is they think he's going to go in the first round. To me, he feels like a fit also. Um, how do you feel about Keon White? Same way I do about Murphy. I feel like White, again, it wasn't pretty to watch Georgia Tech uh, over the last couple of years. You know, they just hadn't been good. Um, outside of Jameer Gibbs before he transferred and then Keon White, you see someone that's just like, wow, he's got good ball get off. He's strong. He pursues the ball rather well. He plays hard throughout the course of a game, doesn't yeah. take plays off, and also has a length and athleticism that you look for. So he's checking boxes as you're watching uh, Georgia Tech play defense. And it's not surprising to see him get invited because that also tells you that they expect a run on defensive ends mm -hmm. or edge guys, which then pushes guys up. Or he could also be there for day two, you know, because they also showcase guys that getting their name called on day two as well. But because you, you look at the amount of edge rushers and let's say the difference between the top guys and mid-round guys, kind of can see some guys get elevated up uh, into the first round. I want to get your take on this as well. White's one of those guys that's a little older. He's 24, and it seems like there's more top prospects that are uh, considered quote-unquote overaged in this draft because a lot of them took advantage of the extra COVID year, played four or five years, um, some of them six. If you're a scout working for a team, how much weight are you going to put on that? Because a lot of fans hate the idea of taking an older prospect. Fans are, are, are you know, fans get tied into what they constantly see and, and, and hear and read. Um, but fans will also tell you in week nine when White is out there balling, no one cares with how old he is. No one cares what this guy's S2 score is or what this guy's three-cone drill is. You're just happy he just made a sack or just happy this guy threw a touchdown pass. So I think we got to take a little bit of context and all that stuff. Like age is only relevant for, you know, upside purposes. But if you're telling me if I'm taking some – and here's the thing. If I'm taking an older player in round one, the – the, the uh, mindset of taking a first-round player is the impact guy that can help me right now. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't mind take a, taking an older guy on defense that could help me right now. And we got to get out of this old-school mindset of thinking, oh, this guy is going to help us for a decade plus. Like, you're lucky to have your, your guy on your team for four to five years now. Like, everybody seems to be, you know, they move on from guys a lot quicker now because of the rookie yeah. wage scale. So... Just think in terms of can this guy help us for three to four years? Perfect. You know what I'm saying? And that's all that that's all that matters. And if White can do that, then take him. Don't worry about age. Same with quarterback, same with running back. Going in the first round, you take those guys while they're the youngest, and then you, you know, you evaluate them again 
on the back end of that fifth year option. That's what I, especially as I look at the Seahawks roster right now, I keep coming back to that. Like maybe it's an appealing thing to them because they have 52 players right now under contract on their roster. They just released five at the beginning of the offseason program that they didn't need to. Typically this time of year, they have 75, 76, 77 players. They need bodies. They need to stock up through this draft and free agency period. And so I would think that that it might even be something that, that appeals to them even more. A guy that's more mature, has more snaps. They like guys that have played a lot, that are really experienced. Guys that they can just plug in right away. Yeah, you need guys that can help you right away because as much as we like to think of the NFL in terms of college football as, oh, you know, we got time to, you know, really work our system, develop our plan. This is a year-to-year league. You know, we've seen first-year head coaches get fired. We've seen guys move on from teams after one year. I'm talking about players. So, you know, you really have to take the NFL year to year and hope you can get this team to maximize its potential each and every season and can't think in terms of development. We like to think that's a thing, but fans tend to dictate and media tends to write about, you know, coach on the hot seat because of this game they lost in week three. You know, so it kind of – and owners are just, you know, billionaires with money don't really – they're probably not football guys. So they, you know, they just, oh man, well, let me, you know, keep making sure the business is good and we got to get rid of this coach because we need this player. We got to tank for this player, right? So you, you're really on a year to year basis. So you got to do what you can to maximize your roster this season. All right. Let's move to another position group on the other side of the ball because as you talk about what, you know, people read what things are being written and, Something that has gained some steam over the last couple of weeks is there are multiple reports that the Seahawks, A, are looking very heavily at the center position in this draft, as as most agree that they should, but also that 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 sort of no man's land between 20 and 37 where they sit, that that might be the range where some of these centers start to go. And if you want one, you might have to consider one in the first round, even if it includes just a little bit of a trade back. The Seahawks in recent weeks have sent Steve Hutchinson out to work out Joe Tittman, John Michael Schmitz, Minnesota, another older player. Who's your favorite center in this draft? My favorite center is, you know, uh, Alex Forsythe out of Oregon. Wow. But my number two center I can't wait is John Michael Schmidt. Okay. You know, so, and here's my thing on centers. I think people put so much focus on the tackle position, but guard center guard is more important. If you're not if you're not strong on your interior, you won't have offense. You won't be able to run the ball. Your quarterback won't have time in the pocket because any average quarterback worth his salt getting pressure on the outside can step up into the pocket. But if there's nowhere to step up, you're dead in the water. So I don't mind taking a guard or a center in round one if you feel like there's an elite one that can help you right away. Or a lot of it also depends on the run. We talk about Keon White potentially going the first round. Will there be a run on? We know there's going to be a run on quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, we know there's going to potentially be a run on um, edge rushers and also tackles. So where does that start? And if you start to see that run, does that push guys down? So can you wait a little bit to 37 and get the center that you want? Um, corner will probably have a run on in the first round in yeah. the, as well. So if you're Seattle. You don't have to push that in p- at pick 20. Now, you might want to get a little creative and pick uh, 37. Or if you sit there and say, okay, we can get th- the guy that we have targeted um, probably at pick 25. Mm-hmm. Jumpy teams want to move up, maybe grab a Bijan or a Jameer Gibbs, 
and you could back in to, to five spots, get your guy while also moving up in round two to kind of sandwich it in. Say, yeah. hey, I'm going to get the center earlier in round two down because I moved up as opposed to then waiting at 20, taking a guy you could move down a little bit. So there's ways to work it. I don't think they have to take one in round one. I think they'll be fine trying to maneuver within round two to get the guy they want. We got to talk about Alex Forsyth because I, I, I'm i quite sure you're the only analyst in the country that has him as your top-rated center. It's it's funny because he is the first center that I watched this offseason at all. And the very first snap that I saw, he was he was snapping the ball, pulling off tackle and getting to the second level, and it was really impressive. Uh, typically, he's a guy early in the process that seemed to be rated higher, and now he's slipped down, and he's routinely taken – in most mock drafts, or at least on most big boards, in the on day three, what is it about him that you see that maybe the others aren't? Consistency and athleticism. I'm big for offensive linemen that can move because that just expands your offense, it expands your run game, it expands your ability to throw the football from different spots. And we know everyone on defense now is athletic; they can get after the quarterback. You got to be able to change up that launch pad spot, but if you can't, because you're you have an offensive line that can just play within this box, it's tough. But if you can get guys out on the move and get creative, it just makes your offense that much more fluid, that much more dynamic, and it makes you tougher to defend. So I've always loved athletic offensive linemen, and I think he does a great job consistently on a game-to-game, rep-to-rep basis. And over the last five years, I feel like Oregon has done a fantastic job in not only recruiting but developing these offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. So I found myself – becoming enamored with the guys that they are able to bring in. And anytime I'm getting ready for draft stuff, it's like, man, this is, this is a really good, consistent, clean offensive lineman that can play a long time. Michael Smith is my second offensive, my, my second center, fantastic player, dominant on both ends of offense, really good senior bowl week. So yeah. if you told me you wanted to go that route or for, I, I, you wouldn't get an argument out of me because I feel like both guys are, are really good centers. Let's go to day two, because this is my favorite part of this draft. Uh, there's, a, you know, the Seahawks have three picks on day two. I wish they had 10. Um, <laughs> it, it, it seems especially that a lot of what appears to be sort of the consensus big boards and guys that are going to be taken on day two line up really well with what they need. And there's a there's a bunch of edge rushers, a bunch of D linemen. Um, who are some of your favorite front seven guys on day two? Well, I don't know where they're going to go. Because the draft is always ridiculous. So I'll just give you some of my guys that I just think are, are really good players. I'm a big Caleb Murphy guy out of Ferris State. Mm-hmm. Uh, 25 and a half sacks last season. Like, that's just ridiculous production. Uh, I don't care what level you play. Um, and he also showed at the Shrine game that he can drop back in coverage and cover tight ends and didn't look awkward in space. Big fan of what he brings to the table. You also look at linebacker Deion Henley. I think he should be able to be – I think he should go in the first round because I think he's just a phenomenal talent. I think he's the – you know, I view him how I view Jordan Brooks, but I also view Henley like I viewed Fred Werner. Hmm. I think Henley is an underrated superstar. So I feel like he is someone that's going to be available probably on the second day, but I would definitely uh, take it take him because I feel like he does a great job not only covering, former wide receiver turn linebacker, yeah. understands yeah. defense from an offensive perspective and has ball skills. Darius Rush, I would feel comfortable taking him in the first round, the corner out of South Carolina. I like him better than Cam Smith. This is someone 6'2", 200 pounds, long arms, former wide receiver. Seahawks fans should remember and think Richard Sherman. He reminds yeah. me a lot of him uh, when he was coming out of Stanford, except this guy is a, a much better athlete, has, you know, it's faster, but also, again, sees defense from an offensive perspective and has ball skills. So 
those are some of the guys on day two that I just feel like um, I, I would probably target. And then I want to give you a couple of names because these are guys the Seahawks add in as top 30 visits that fans may not be as familiar with or that there's questions about. One is Trenton Simpson, another guy where some people just don't seem to to really have a clear picture of how they want to use him and where they would play him. Good athlete. You know, I, I just wonder about the uh, impactful plays perspective. You like to see yeah. him make more impactful plays in a run game, not just, you know, uh, absorb blocks or try to run around blocks. You got to sometimes meet the, you know, the rubber at the road and, and get busy at the point of attack. And, you know, you want to see that more consistently from him. So for me, um, good athlete, just the football part uh, is not where you want it to be. And then the Seahawks have been attached to a couple of cornerback prospects, even as high up as the top of the draft with there's, there's some reported interest with Devin Witherspoon, but Keely Ringo is a guy they brought in for a visit. He's interesting to me and and interesting doesn't always mean a positive thing. Great, he's got the he's got the length, the size, some of the athletic attributes. He's from this area, so a lot of people are attracted to that. I don't see an instinctive player. I see him getting lost in coverage sometimes. I see him getting beat. What's your take on Ringo? Yeah, he's kind of one-dimensional as a football player. He's a, you know, he's a press guy, turn and run guy cuz he's a great great athlete, but just doesn't find the football particularly well. Um physical, big corner. Uh, you know, it kind of is Xavier Rose like in that regard and how he plays, you know, and I feel like, you know, there's still room to to like Ringo. Um, day two is probably where he's going to end up, probably where he's always should have been thought of. I know we saw some talk earlier in the year when mm-hmm. you know, these these names, you know, start to come out and you see Ringo in the top 10. Good player, um, but has to become more, much more instinctive. Just if he could just find the football, um, he'll be in a much better shape because he does a great job in sticking with the receiver, but just doesn't find the ball. Let's talk a little bit about skill position uh, because of all the top 30 visits the Seahawks have, have brought in uh, one, one player from the running back tight end wide receiver group, only one. He's one of my favorite guys in this draft that plays a wide receiver position. Um, Charlie Jones out of Purdue. Consistently open, you know, does a great job in finding that dead spot in the zone. I, I think he's a phenomenal slot receiver, a good quick twitch athlete that can, you know, take a short pass and, and, and generate a chunk play. Uh, again, none of one of these guys that just is going to play a long time in the league because he just finds himself open and makes a ton of plays. He's returned a bunch of kicks too, right? That's part of his game? That's part of his quickness. And if you you could tell a lot about a player, um, if you return kickoffs, you're fast. If you return punts, you're quick, and you also have the ability to get in and out of cuts real real good because uh, that's all punt return is, reaction, and how quickly can you change direction, which speaks volumes to what this guy brings to the table. Yeah. Who? Uh, give me a couple of players that you love. You've already given me one, uh, two, actually, if you include Forsyth. Guys that you love sort of in that vein that you don't think are getting enough love from others. Dudes Vaughn. Because people, you know, love to, at this time of the year, people love to talk about, you know, S2 scores, RES, um, you know, uh, you know, three cone drills, uh, you know, vertical jumps and all that stuff. But they forget about the football part. And Deuce Vaughn, you watch him play at Kansas State. Sometimes you got to, you know, man, did I have enough? Am I drinking too much? Because 
I, I swear I've seen this before. I swear I, I saw this Darren Sproles get. I got to give up this this you know this beer that I'm drinking. Like no, it's that he's a spitting image of Darren Sproles. Uh, same size, same university, same productivity. This dude is awesome, man. And again, I'm team size is not a skill. You love Tariq Cohen. You'll love Deuce Vaughn as well because he's such a tremendous player from the start of his career to where we just saw him last dominating Alabama. So, again, put the guy on a football field and have him do football things, and you're going to get a great player. And then conversely, um, who were some guys that you think are pretty universally considered good prospects that you would not touch? I don't, I don't know, man, because everyone has a role to, to really mm-hmm. a pathway to productivity, but I don't understand where the Will Levis hype came from. Okay, uh, yeah, I feel like he is this year's Trubisky. You know, where in a class that had a Watson, Mahomes, Deshaun Kaiser, a PJ Walker, you know, a bunch of other guys that were really talented, right? Kaiser, wow. It's like, where did this, where did this guy come from? You know, and so people say go watch this 2021 film. I go watch it, and it looks like what we just saw last year. Hmm. And you know, he lost all the receivers. Like he lost Wondell Robinson, who was the beneficiary of a lot of these tap passes. Like, what, what are we even talking about here? Um, can he be a solid player? Sure. You know, I think he's more on that Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz trajectory, mm. that that spectrum. Yeah. But, you know, I think he's more of a solid QB, too. Plays a little bit too reckless with his body, you know, in terms of how he doesn't evade defenders. He runs into them. Um, the placement is a little bit off, and it just doesn't warrant the, the top 10 hype. And that's the thing. So I, it's not like I don't think he has a pathway to be a, a decent player. It's just that when you're talking about top 10, you're talking about elite, and I think that's where I have the disconnect. Hmm. Now, you named Deuce Vaughn. Certainly, the Seahawks running back room is thin right now. Only DJ Dallas remains on the roster behind Ken Walker. Um, they typically tend to like bigger running backs in that 5'10", 5'11", 215 range. Um, there are a lot of good running backs in this draft. It's kind of one of the underrated positions, I think, in this group. Daniel Jeremiah said he thinks there's 12 to 13 starting caliber running backs in this draft. Who are some of the guys that, that maybe fit that size threshold a little bit that you think would be a good compliment to Ken Walker? Well, um, and, and if you're going to have Ken Walker back there, you're going to have to find someone that doesn't have necessarily need volume, you know, so mm-hmm. guys that can be quick starters. Zach Evans could be that guy out of Ole Miss. Um, Tyon Evans out of Louisville could be that guy. Eric Gray. Although he's not 215, he's about 209. I'm not worried too much about weight. Guys can yeah. gain the right weight, uh, but he has good fluidity, good ball skills. I'm talking about as a downfield receiver. Uh, people want to, you know, talk about Zach Charbonnet. I think that's right. a good fit yeah. for, um, you know, Seattle. I feel like he's more James Conner uh, than anything. Um, so if you're looking for that 215 type guy, you know, I, I feel even though I think Israel Abinakanda is a, a fantastic back. I don't think he's someone that I would want to have on the field more so okay. than Walker. So he wouldn't be a good fit because he's someone that you kind of want to keep feeding, right? Um, but those guys, I feel like would that I mentioned were good would be op, good operating, uh, you know, in terms of not needing the volume to be successful. They're really quick starters. Yeah. Are you anxious for this to all be wrapped up here in the next week or so for you? Get some time off. Man, it's, it, it, or just, it just really just fo- shifts my attention because, again, it'll right. be now USFL, 
and then also European League of Football. So I love the fact that I can I can talk in depthly about any type of football, but I like the fact that it is not solely based on one thing. I can kind of bounce around, and now I can go interview some coaches at, at the college level and and just do something to get away from draft talk. Well, listen, after this settles down a little bit, you and I were talking a little bit about XFL and uh, USFL before the show. That might be kind of a fun uh, fun conversation to have during that NFL dead period after the draft settles down before they get into uh, off-season workouts and training camp. Uh, we'll have to have you back on the show and give those leagues a little bit of love and talk about some of those guys. Absolutely, man. It's a fun. It's, it's two fun leagues, a lot of great talent, um, and a lot of you know ability to help grow the game. And I think this will come to be a thing. We saw last week that the the two leagues overlapped, and the ratings were at 1.8 million combined. Yeah. So you had 1.8 million people watching spring football. Tells you there's a market for uh, this. This country loves football, and, and at any any level, they'll watch it. So if they can continue to grow that and and foster that growth, I think we have something special down the line. I agree. This country does love football, and man, they're going to love this draft, and Seahawks fans are going to love it. Uh, can't wait to see the ratings numbers here locally for the draft. It's probably going to be off the charts. Uh, Emery Hunt from CBS Sports and Football Game Plan Draft Guide. Thanks for joining me, my friend. It was great. Uh, we could talk for another hour, I'm sure, but I'm going to let you get to your other 10 radio hits that you have the rest of the week. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, appreciate Thanks for that. coming fans on, man. Go pick up the PDF copy at footballgameplan.com slash 2023 draft guide over 1,000 individual scouting reports dropped in your inbox as a PDF as soon as you place the order. There you go. Then you can be the expert on draft day when you can tell all your friends about the, the prospects the Seahawks just took. Thanks for your time, man. We'll talk again soon. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for me. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Uh, check out Locked on Seahawks with Corbin Smith later today. Uh, I'm going to be joining him on that show. And uh, be here on Thursday. I'm going to live stream the entire first round. We'll have some guests on here. We'll react live to all of the drama of that night. Until then, I'm Dan Viennes. Thanks for listening.